You're listening to Career Up Now Socially Distanced Close-Ups Podcast. Today, Jay Dujin is interviewing Dina Wolfman. Dina Wolfman-Baker is the head of marketing and communication at Cambridge Systematics Incorporated. She loves working on comprehensive and challenging tasks, plus is a great person to learn from. Let's jump in on the conversation. Let's start with the most obvious is, can you tell me a little bit about your career journey and how you got to where you are today? I think that for some people, if they were to just sort of look at my CV, they'd probably wonder if I knew what I wanted to do along the way, because I took on different pieces of the marketing and communication world from, you know, as I moved from one role to another, as opposed to specializing as a straight line through. But that was intentional. I started, it's probably best to go back to college when I was majoring in English. And at some, at some point, my father you know, sort of pointed out to me that if I didn't figure out what I was going to do with that, <laughs> I probably would not live in the way in which I had become accustomed, which I think was his way of telling me that I was going to be on my own after I graduated. <laughs> I think that's with most people, a lot of kids growing up is there's that awful pressure that people have that the threat of you're going to have to do this on your own. So, uh, which is, a, which is not a threat. It's an encouragement. And I think it's great. So, you know, I did think about it. And one of the things about being an English major back then, at least was nobody really saw a career path other than teaching probably for English majors, which is not what I really wanted to do. What I loved about it was the analysis and synthesis that goes into studying literature and writing about literature. And I love writing. I love communicating. So I started taking courses in other aspects of communication, science, science communication, persuasive communication. And out of college, I got an internship at an insurance company where I basically was a, a background writer for safety engineers who just didn't know how to write. And one of the things the safety department did was also sell their services in sort of a catalog form in addition to being an arm of the company serving the company's insurance clients. So I started writing marketing materials for this catalog and I parlayed that into ending up in the ad agency world writing marketing copy as my next job. Spent a number of years in that world then freelanced for a little while while I had very young kids, and then went inside and really started taking positions where I was inside the organization as opposed to in the agency world. Though I think having worked in the agency world gave me perspective, particularly when I manage agency vendors, that is very helpful. I worked in, sometimes in the PR part, sometimes in the internal communications, aspect, sometimes in the marketing communications aspect, and ultimately found a way to bring all of that together. And probably most important, learned, learned the strategy piece, really learned how to be a business strategist. And when you pull all that together, then you can really take a leadership role and help to really have an impact on a company through internal and external communication. Did you ever think that would interest you when you're your earliest thoughts of, of careers and things like that and to where you ended up, are you surprised that you took an interest in 
kind of that larger view or it was just kind of the evolution of how things work? No, I don't think that would have ever been surprising because what I always loved was when I got to do the, the bigger, more comprehensive stuff. In, in the agency world, most people preferred to work on the ads, for example, the quick ads. They make a splash, they're quick, you get immediate satisfaction that they're done and they're cute or they're funny or they're impactful or whatever. I wanted to work on the large sets of collateral materials. Collateral materials being a term for brochures and stuff like that. I wanted to work on those large sets of collateral materials that might take months to put together and get to bed because I really liked seeing a comprehensive thing come together and have a strategy behind it. So it's always been part of what drives me. It's kind of a side question is that do you feel that part has gone away a little bit? I feel like everyone wants instant gratification in marketing and the test and measurement, the analytics behind it. I almost feel like that has disappeared a little bit, whereas we always had to you know, prove that something really worked and worked well. I think there's always been a tension between the two. There's always been this desire to sort of get a quick hit in marketing, but there's also always been a need to show the value and show the return on investment. I actually believe there's often greater demand for showing that return on investment now because we have analytic tools that allow us to do it and everybody knows that. So you can't sort of use proxies anymore, right? The difficulty with that is you only have those analytic tools for certain aspects of marketing. There are others that still defy a certain amount of specificity around the return on investment. It's not perfect. And one of the things that I think is, is showing as a result is just a trend toward working more and more in those areas where it's easier to pull data and show the impact as quickly as you possibly can show it because that's what wins you the perceived value to continue doing this kind of work. How big is the company that you're working at now? We have 230 employees. So that's a decent size. Yeah, we're across 12 offices. Wow. Is it one of the bigger companies you've worked for? And I ask that because a lot of people in their career process, they are thinking, do I want to work for a big company? Do I want to work for a little company? We're all kind of piling in. Do you have a preference Mm -hmm. for working with one size of company over another? Yeah, so I've worked in all range and the the full range (laughs) and uh, I've worked for fortune 50 companies and I do think I prefer sort of the the mid-level the 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 small end of the mid-level I like companies that are established enough yet are still going through some of those really exciting growth transitions and also I like I like it when everybody can actually know the leadership I mean truly know the leadership I think it's, I think it makes for a healthier environment. At some very large companies, the leadership is very good at finding ways to make that happen, but not as often as I would like to see. What made you decide to want to become a mentor? I, I don't know if I decided to become a mentor if it, or if it found me, but I found that people would ask me, give them advice to help them figure out how to be a leader or figure out how to be strategic or, and I was just sort of mentoring. I know 
that where I had mentors, it was extraordinarily helpful and where I didn't, it was hard. In, in, and when I don't, by where, I don't mean places so much as aspects of my career or aspects of my development. It just became obvious that people needed this because they were asking, that they felt I had something to offer. And from my own experience that it's really necessary. Uh, but also at a certain point in your career, the greatest impact you can make on your field is by mentoring others. When you have <laughs> enough years behind you, and I have a lot of years behind me, I can do my work really well. I can be involved in professional organizations and so forth and so on. But the most important thing I can do right now is say, at some point when I'm not practicing, what and who will I have left behind with what capabilities to practice and to develop their careers in ways that are exciting to them. You talked about your own mentors. Did you actively seek them out or did they, did people you knew suddenly kind of fall into the category of they were really my mentor? Talk about that. Yeah, I don't think I even knew to seek them out. So I look back and, and realize how naive I was, how much I didn't know, that I think a lot of people now know at a younger age. I grew up in an extremely enlightened household where, and I had every reason to believe from the, from the role models I had just personally that I could achieve anything I wanted to achieve. When a professor in college asked me on a date and, I, and followed me to my dorm and I said no, and he then dropped my grade from an A to a C, I didn't know there was anything to call that or anyone to tell. I never told a soul, I just let it happen. That lack of mentorship does. I had, but also lack of awareness that there's such a thing to ask for, that you can go and say, this is what's happening in my career, because that time being a college student was my profession, right? This is what's happening in my career development. What do I do? Mentorship came to me eventually. The first place it really came to me was at the first ad agency I worked at. And I had a copy chief and, a, and creative director, Hank Inman and Dave Delman, who hired me believing that I could write copy, copy in an ad agency I don't know what they saw in me. There was no reason to believe I could do that. And then just let me do it and advised me, never questioned my ability and were always there when I had any question about anything in my life. And when that company, as this was on the cusp of, of the large single city-based marketing agencies becoming eaten up by what became global companies. When that company downsized in order to be sold and I was laid off, they made it their job to help me find my next position. And the next was a woman named Jackie Reinberg who taught me to self-advocate. Because again, as I said, I grew up in a world where I just believed that I had the power to just do what I wanted. It didn't even occur to me, though I could market anything and anyone else that I should market myself within my department or within my company. And she taught me to do that. And I remember her saying, you can't just 
say this is a good idea, write a memo, send it to the right people, get it in writing, talk about the successes you've had, document them, get them in front of people. She just made herself available to me as a mentor. So I didn't know to ask at that time. I think it's really critical that young people as they're entering the job market and the workforce that it's so much more than just doing the work and doing the job is that you need this, what people so frequently refer to as soft skills, but this bigger picture of what you're doing, how you're doing it. I think there's also this, this enormous part of being happy in what you do. And these little reality checks where a mentor can help guide you to make sure that you're on the path that you like. A lot of people, I think, get wrapped up in, in money. But for me, and I, a lot of times it doesn't happen until we're older, is that happiness is, is, is so critical. And I think mentoring is it's a responsibility that we have to kind of give them that, okay, stop, reality check. Are you smiling, smiling enough during the day? Which sounds kind of silly, but yeah. I personally believe well, I, I agree. So I would call it satisfaction. Yeah. Um, and I do believe it's important that we find the work we do satisfying. And there's, num- you know, different people are going to sa- find work satisfying in different ways and for different reasons. And I, I do notice in myself, you mentioned smiling, literally whether I'm smiling on my way to and from work, it, that means a lot to me. But I also think it's very important to recognize that it is a privilege to be able to even talk about whether our work is satisfying because so many people just have to worry about whether there's enough work to keep their families alive. So that is a highly privileged comment. Yes. Worry about the satisfaction one gets from one's work. At the same time, it is not an either or. Nobody should allow themselves to be undercompensated for the skills they bring to the table. You can look at compensation in any way you want, but you said for some it's it's money. I I would not argue that because you find your work satisfying, it obligates you to compromise on whether people are properly compensating you for it in other ways. There's a lot of pressure. There's so much pressure in the development of younger people. I think it's, I think a lot of the, the big pressure starts at when you're a, a junior in high school, where you've got pressure about graduating and grades and dating and what your next move is going to be. Are you going to go to college? Are you going to pursue small business? I mean, it's really limitless. And I think that's also a really wonderful thing that a mentor can do is to help ask those questions and and be there just to share their experiences, to let them know that they're not alone in a lot of the feelings that they're having. I agree. Very often it is listening. And it's also knowing when somebody might need you to say, do you need to talk as a mentor? So again, as I said, I didn't know to ask for a, men- a mentor. Some people may know to ask for a mentor, but not always know when they need that mentor. When we went into our isolation for COVID-19 and we all suddenly weren't running into each other in the office or in the, or communicating in the normal ways. I made it a point to reach out periodically to a couple of people who have a tendency to come to me for advice to just say, how are you doing? What's going on? Because the fact that it feels uncomfortable 
to work from home might not be a reason they would think to reach out to their mentor, but that's sometimes a perfectly good reason to do so, even though there's not a specific question you have to ask. That's a really, really good point. And I think dispelling the myth about what mentoring is and what a mentee might be seeking out is, is always helpful for those who are discovering that they could have a mentor and sometimes more than just talking business and career. It's they're there for frequently for, for life experience, which I think yeah. is really, really important. My perspective on mentorship was from a panelist. I, I pulled together a panel on professional development and mentorship for the International Association of Business Communicators, Boston chapter a number of years ago. And one of the panelists talked about a personal board of directors. Different people in your lives are appropriate for different kinds of mentorship needs. And you accumulate the mentors you need for different things. No one member, mentor is going to be able to serve all of your mentorship needs necessarily. Because as you said, sometimes it's very specific about a professional aspect. and Sometimes it's a little softer than that. So over time, you accumulate this personal board of directors, and you might not be in constant touch with all of them, or even the majority of them, but they're there to reach out to when they're the, the appropriate person for whatever is going on. And I just love that model. Yeah, it's such a nice thing that we can help to make people be aware of that these resources are out there. If you're not comfortable mm -hmm. talking to a family member or specific coworker, that seeking out a great mentor is, is really a great thing. And I still feel like there's this barrier people feel that if someone's in a certain position that they shouldn't ask them if they wouldn't mind being their mentor. And they'll mm -hmm. often think, oh, he's or she has started this whole company, and who am I? They want to reach out and try to get them to career advice. And I think more and more, they are willing to. And you have, the timing is critical, of course, but I think that's something that people shouldn't be afraid of, is, is knowing that they're just people and they do want to share their experiences mm -hmm. to help people. And I think the world is slowly changing about that, and the, and the fact that we have organizations like career up now that are working mm -hmm. to pair people up with the right uh, people and resources is, is, is really wonderful from my perspective. Are there any specific pieces of advice that you got over the years that you want to share or were really important to you? I think the advice that I received, as I mentioned earlier from Jackie, about telling people when you've done well, don't yeah. wait for someone to notice put it in writing, say it, don't feel that it's somehow untoward to say, I achieved that, I did that, I made a difference. Be vocal in an appropriate way, but be vocal about what you bring to the table. I think that was extraordinarily helpful to me and allowed me to um, advance more quickly in my career. I think that's important for a lot of shy people out there, or people who, who want to stay humble, and it's not mm -hmm. necessarily a, a humility thing. It's an important part of your own career journey that you need to make mm -hmm. sure that people know about the great work that you're doing or have done. And it's not related to how introverted or extroverted you are. Most people are surprised when they learn this, but I, I test as a far introvert, but I have no problem putting myself out there. The two are not mutually exclusive. And that's a really important thing to understand as well. 
you don't have to compromise on who you are and what your personality is in order to find a way to put yourself out there in an appropriate way. One of the other most important things I've learned has been how important it is to have as broad a set of perspectives on my team as possible. It is very easy to want to bring in people that remind us of ourselves and it makes us far less effective. Sort of along those lines, the other piece for me was learning and now trying to impart to others that it is not always the best approach to try to get things perfect. Progress means a lot. And sometimes perfection makes it impossible to move forward. And we have to find a way to make progress and process and the pursuit of perfection meet at some point where you can actually take action, even if you're still then continuing to try to pursue those lines. But you have to find a pace that makes that move forward. And as a piece of that, the ability to delegate and actually let people run with it. But own for yourself the fallout of that. If you let people run with things, you have to give them credit for what they achieve. You have to help them learn from their mistakes, but you own the mistakes. Mm -hmm. And until you learn that, you cannot lead. What was their greatest failure? Because we all fail. And that's another thing for people to, to know and, and not be afraid of it. But, and sometimes you'll ask, well, what, what teachable moments did you have throughout your lifetime? But I like to just be direct and say, is there any particular failure in your life that sticks out that turned to be a really important teachable moment for you? Yeah, I would say my greatest failure was choosing to take a position for the wrong reasons. It was with an organization where getting the position felt like a big win. It felt um, exciting. It felt like, like a coup, but it didn't feel like the right fit. And so I made a decision for the wrong reasons and it didn't work. It couldn't work. That was a great reminder that you have to fit in an organization. And throughout our career, we learn with every role more about what that fit is and we have to apply it the next time but accept that we're still learning <laughs> we also have to accept that there's no such thing as a perfect fit no organization including just working on one's own is a perfect fit for anyone there's always a way to make it even better and that's okay and it's okay if again we're always in pursuit of perfection, but don't achieve it and just allow our career to develop. Following up on that thinking, and, and you really just answered my next question, which was advice for college students and recent graduates about how they could advance their professional life in, in, in that advice. Um, but what you just said was really good, but I'm gonna ask just to, to hear again, maybe a different, from a different perspective. Yeah, so I'm going to connect this actually to something different from what I just said, which is I'm going to connect it more to something that's very specific to career up now, which is that I think we too often think that our personal and professional life have to be very separate realms. One of the things that's fundamental to me about what's interesting about career up now is it says that a key aspect of our personal lives, which is our, you know, our spiritual life, and our professional life are intrinsically linked. That, that is a sort of a defining underpinning 
of the idea of having a Jewish organization that is about career development. It says that somehow our spiritual and professional lives are linked. I understand the impulse people have to disconnect their personal and professional lives. If they don't want to seem unprofessional, if they're afraid that something that they do personally might be misunderstood in the professional environment. And certainly you shouldn't be irresponsible in what you put out there in public. But we have to bring our whole self to our work and our work has to support our whole self. In addition to my career that we've discussed, you know, I've also been with my husband, um, you know, the, for, I was for 25 years, he sold the company now and is semi-retired, but the owner of a family-owned business. There's no better way to remember that these two are linked than to realize that everything you're doing in that work life is representative of who you are as a human being as a spouse, as a parent, it's modeling to your children because the family-owned businesses are always at the table. And that's not only specific to that model, it's true any professional life. One of the things I say in business-to-business -business marketing is it's not really different from business-to-consumer marketing. When I finish shopping online for my personal needs and then start shopping online to look at websites about some vendor I need for business, I don't leave the person who was sitting in my body five minutes ago behind. I'm just as emotional and non-emotional about my purchases. Nobody wants to believe that, but it's true. We have to accept that we are a whole person and bring our spiritual selves to our work. I have refused to do things that I've been asked to do because I know they are wrong. There's risk in that, but there's greater risk in leaving your, your, your humanity behind. Is there a piece of advice that you wish you knew before you started your whole career? I wish I had understood, I wish I had understood what it means to be a woman who is ambitious mm. and what a woman who is ambitious faces. Not because it would have stopped me, but because I would have been better prepared to address it.